Let's change the world together. Welcome to the Snapcast, the podcast for all nonprofit professionals, bringing you interviews and amazing ideas for nonprofit leaders. Hello, this is Mickey Desai, your host for this episode of the Nonprofit Snapcast. I am very lucky again to be sitting across the table from Dorothea Lotzakola, uh, Executive Director of the Training and Counseling Center at St. Luke's, otherwise known as TAC. Dorothea, thank you for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. So in the last episode, we talked about a number of things, you know, the, the challenges of what it meant to step into an executive director role and in a very entrenched <laughs> culture and how to gain the trust of people and start to affect the change. You did not architect that vision all by yourself, though, did you? The new vision? Mm -hmm. Or was that you? I mean, it could, might have I, been you. I was in an organization before that was larger than TAC and that had the two components as well, like a counseling component and a, a chaplaincy training component. So um, I was one of the directors of this the clinical pastor education department. So I've been watching from afar an organization that had both components and was larger. So I had some ideas, some visions, some experience from afar, uh, how that could look like if it was larger. Okay. And you stepped into this role. Was fundraising a big thing on your radar when you landed? Um, yes and no. Um, the organization traditionally has had amazing fundraising through the church. Um, they have been funded the, the chaplaincy program completely mm -hmm. through donors. So we have two endowments uh, from two um, church members. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of funding for 40 years that has been flowing. But those funders are now in their 80s. And so it could not maintain itself anymore in this traditional way of having individual donors and then, you know, basically um, focusing on those relationships so that the money keeps flowing. Right. It kept us as an organization as a very young stage of development. Oh, I see. Because we were financially completely dependent on parental figures, which was wonderful at the time, but we, we, we needed to grow up. And it wouldn't be sustainable. Exactly, because right. the parents were tired of us. <laughs> like, I was saying you like, have to get out of the house now. <laughs> we, we were living in the basement, but we needed to go to college. <laughs> so it was time to find another way to be creative around how do you fundraise. Yeah. Uh, and I had some really good ideas that uh, I had watched and thought about and seen in practice mm -hmm. that the church had never heard about mm. or didn't know. For example, they didn't know that you could partner with organizations, nonprofits, and they would fund uh, the uh, chaplaincy uh, training by you providing services. So it's a it's another concept. You're not just volunteering or sending interns out mm -hmm. that are for free, but you're actually contracting with entities that have money and right. that want chaplains. And, and that so, you're providing a service which exactly. is worth paying for. So exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that was um, a new concept. Mm -hmm. Also that, um, you know, uh, clients, uh, some have health insurance. Mm -hmm. And so how can you integrate some clients that have health insurance into the services so that insurance does help us out? Yeah. So we get some income. So diversify income and get creative and then partner with organizations that have a need for mental health counseling. And that, that required also to think of going out of sight the building. Um, you know, our chaplains have always been gone out of the building into the community, but our counselors didn't. 
So it, it required also diversifying our counselor pool. Uh, everybody was kind of white, female, and over 60 <laughs> when I arrived, right. um, which matched the, the clients, actually, that we had at the time. But there was a stagnation. Sure. There's only so many white females over 60 that need counseling. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a limitation right. of the system that was slowly declining. Mm -hmm. And when I came, my intention was to diversify and match our counselors with the community around us. Okay. So other nonprofits that I look at that are in the midst of transitions, uh, where they're picking a new executive director, or there's a leadership regime change of some sort, don't always have what I'm going to call the luxury of decent funding. Right. They have, like you said, to uh, to immediately diversify a fundraising stream and try to get that established as quickly as possible. Um, but thanks to the church, that wasn't a huge challenge for you. Exactly. Yeah. I think the endowments and the reserve fund that had put in place and their ongoing commitment helped make this transition possible. Because the first three years, we had to dig, dig into the reserves because um, you had to basically take away certain elements before you could replace them. So uh, I had the luxury of time because the church was had an ongoing commitment to us. That helped me not when the numbers got, got lower, um, they anticipated that. So they were not punishing me for not being successful right away. Uh, and that helped this more, I would say, organic change to happen uh, because I was not, like after three years, we doubled the numbers of clients mm, oh. and I took on service agreements uh, with hospitals. And so right now we're making up all the lost funds. Actually, this year is amazing uh, financially because of changing from a pure donation uh, income to a service income as well. And I, it takes a while to build relationships with community and win the trust of even to be a service provider. And after three years, we had won the trust of two major hospitals and we had, you know, done, improved our marketing yeah. so that people could find us. And so that's how we doubled both programs in size. And now it's the fifth year and the fifth year is now basically paying back all the uh, reserve funds that we had to dig into the first three years. But that's a huge risk taking that the church, because the program is so old, they were willing to make. Uh, others might have panicked. And the good thing, too, they were old board members that had seen really rough times. Mm. So when I panicked after the second year of not having success, they were like, oh, we have seen worse. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nice. I, I would love history, to hear that from my board members. The history <laughs> of the board was such that they had such bad times at times yeah. um, that, you know, I got actually their empathy and support rather than then putting it all on me. Um, so that was nice. Yeah. Uh, very gracious. And, um, but it took certain. And by that time, they, they trusted you, like we said. They, they won the trust. Yeah. I won their trust also through some, you know, challenges. Um, you know, there were some members of the church that didn't like me, uh, because I was so different and wrote me hate letters. Oh, um, no. <laughs> and, you know, they were watching me how I was handling that. Yeah. And I was just, um, you know, using my therapeutic background sure. to, to assess the situation as a mentally unstable person, projecting her rage because I discontinued something that mm. she had 
you know, birthed yeah. 10 years before and it was no longer working. So she was really upset with me and I, I appreciated her upset and I didn't take it personal, but I had to go to the certain board members so that the anxiety of those board members who were very concerned about the image mm -hmm. and the church dynamics, mm -hmm. that they would not take over the board, but that people who could see how I was just a projection wall mm -hmm. and it was not my incompetence mm -hmm. that this was happening. You know, I needed to strengthen that part of the board. And they came on board with me and, um, you know, basically saw it the way I saw it. Mm -hmm. uh, and things calmed down. And, um, you know, that was a test. Sure. Uh, the board was tested. Would they, who would they align with? And luckily, you know, the way I was able to handle it also as a professional and my therapeutic background helped a lot mm -hmm. to not take it political, but to take it therapeutic. And that way it stay differentiated. I like this. Mm -hmm. Does the board maintain uh, a majority space on I'm sorry does the church maintain a majority space on your board originally the board was 19 members and there were 95% St. Luke's members mm. but the board also had the function of donating money and managing everything so I wanted the board to stop managing everything because I hired really competent staff so they really just needed to do oversight mm -hmm. and be our allies uh, in the church and also in the community. And my goal was to uh, change it to 50-50, 50% from the church and 50% from the community. So right now the board has shrunk down to 12 members. Mm -hmm. And also diversifying the board was bringing some minority persons and younger persons on board. Our next board uh, board chair, she's the vice chair right now. Mm -hmm. She is in her early 30s. Oh. So we had 75 to 80-year-old board members <laughs> right. when I came. And now, right now, the 50-year-olds are in charge. And the next two or three years, we have 30 and 40-year-olds um, be on the board. That's so, fantastic. And then bringing in some of our partners, if there's no financial conflict uh, right. of interest. but Right. Has it been hard to transform the board? Patience. I had to wait until it naturally turned over. I could not, you know, I worked with the people I had. I appreciated them. I, uh, you know, for what they have done and allowed them also to retire and praised them for all the good work. And a lot of them were ready to retire. Mm -hmm. They, they, you know, they, they were ready to let go. And so to just honor that at the same time, um, you know, be involved in the next generation of the church, uh, because a lot of the younger generation doesn't know us because we had become an older organization. And now we have a, you know, a counselor that sees children. So also our service had to become younger and teenagers. So we're seeing all ages, um, and we have hired several minority um, counselors as well. Hmm. Um, so um, we are growing in the right direction. Yeah, sounds like it. Mm -hmm. I remembered the question that I wanted to ask you earlier, which is um, insurance. You agreed that it was a good idea for the center to take insurance. I've seen other similar nonprofits that don't take insurance because it actually adds to their overhead. Now they have, you know, reporting requirements and a whole different set of data to track for insurance purposes. How did you make it worthwhile for TAC? 
When I came on board, I took with me a woman that for 30 years has done nothing else but claim filing. (laughs) So she was so good at it that I was very confident that if we wanted to incorporate that element, because it's very tedious, you have to be really good at it to make it work. So she became my current COO, CFO, so she had to learn everything about other finances, but I knew that part of claim filing was a no issue. So you have to either know what you're doing or have somebody that knows what <laughs> she's doing. And so that's, that's how it was possible. I mean, we have a probably only 7 to 10% of our clients have insurance because okay. that's not what we want to be known for. Mm. We want to be known for taking people that cannot afford it. So it would be against our mission to only have insurance clients. At the same time, if somebody comes, we we want to, they pay the copay, right. and then we have the, the insurance, uh, you know, help us out. It's the wise thing to take it, I think. Yeah, so yeah. it's not our goal, but if it happens, we take it. Sure. You, okay, so, where, so you've, you've brought the organization through an amazing transition. Uh, to, to hear that it's tripled in, in the uh, amount of capacity, that's tremendous success. What are your next major challenges, do you think? Partners come and partners go. Hmm. Partners have money. Partners <laughs> have no money, especially when you choose nonprofit organizations to partner with. So I think uh, right now I am seeing this as my uh, successful years, and I put money away because you don't know wh- who will come next. So you have to always be reinventive about reaching out to potential partners, uh, also to become better known that donors, uh, foundations get to know you and see you as the second life cycle and see you as growing, expanding in diversity, in outreach, in impact that you're having. So we are keeping better track of uh, patient reporting, how this is helping them. So we are not to getting federal or state money because that takes a lot of reporting. So we haven't reached that level yet, but we are just trying to be more faithful to, uh, you know, document how our clients are improving, how many lives our chaplains are touching every day. Um, so just keep the stats and the numbers. Yes. So not be ignorant about the business piece of this, you know, because before we had no numbers, it was all more private and you know entity behind the church now we're really becoming a community center which is a whole nother ball game very different yes that's amazing um so patience trust we've touched on a lot of different things uh um, hiring good people hiring good people the best you have to uh, find people that are passionate and they're also still learners so you can offer them something you know being in this new uh, phase of development, they feel important. Mm-hmm. They feel, and you have to develop a culture of uh, where people love to come to work. You have to appreciate them. You have to have snacks. You have to have <laughs> little things that make it warm and inviting to be here because you don't pay them enough. So you have to create a culture of um, mutual respect and uh, dignity and people feeling as they make a contribution because most people work in nonprofit because of meaning. So you have to make it meaningful. You have to appreciate them and want them because most of them are contractors. Let's face it. You know, you have to build a relationship that, you know, they feel at home and they want to stay because you lose them. (laughs) <laughs> they can there's so many other places to contract with so you have to be unique 
in making it a really warm, healthy environment to work. In working with essentially student providers of mental health services, who provides the supervision? Who, who um, and, and does it cost you money to provide supervision? How does that tend to work in terms of a training model? Um, what is nice, I'm first of all a clinician myself, mm -hmm. um, so I can supervise and educate the chaplains. And then I hired a, a young woman who just finished her supervisory training mm. to supervise herself. So you have to be really um, smart in double dipping, having people that can do more than one function sure. and that are happy to do more than one. So because money is so limited, um, it's really crucial to find people that are multiple, mm. that have different interests, different passions, and different skills, so that you don't have to hire two people. Right. But then you need to be careful not to work them to death. Right, right. <laughs> but at least I, I, I'm hearing you say that the, the supervisors are in-house. In-house. Would, would you not be able to work with a volunteer supervisor? We do have contracts. Our contractors have to have a supervisor outside of here, but they are responsible to pay for that. I see. So it's part of the contract. You know, if you have, if you see clients here, we cannot give you all the supervision you need. Even the licensed ones mm -hmm. need to have an outside person. So that's part of our contract and that's quality control. Yeah. Thank you, Dorotea. This has been really, really good. Thank you for making the time and to sit with us and have this conversation. Sure. Hope we can do this again sometime in the okay. future. Let's do it. And again, this is Mickey Desai. I've been your host for this episode of the nonprofit Snapcast. We'll see you again in about a week. This has been the Snapcast. Thank you for joining us.